I'm, I'm excited about how God is working out the process of us preaching through the book of Joshua. Uh, you can bring that slide up. By the way, I, I'm, I'm working on control issues. Hey, hey, hey. I'm trying to give up the clicker. And it's very hard, so, you know, don't make fun of me. This is a difficult process. Okay. The title for the sermon this week is A Fresh Start. <laughs> I know you did it. Okay. Um, yes, they can. All right. So we all love a fresh start. You know, that sense of fresh hope and renewal, especially, listen carefully, especially if you're someone who's carrying the burden of past failure, right? Fresh starts are like, oh, I need a fresh start. The question is, what's the best way to go about a fresh start? Is there a official fresh start checklist? Or is there some sort of standard procedure that you could follow? Have you ever felt like you needed a fresh start spiritually? So what did you do when you felt that? What did you do to try to achieve this fresh start? Was it just some sort of new commitment that you made? Okay, now this time I really am going to change my old habits. I know I said that last time, but this time I mean it. This time I really am going to take a new direction. I, I meant it last time, but this time I really mean it. This time I really am going to get rid of toxic relationships. I know I said that in the old fresh starts, but this fresh start is different. Now look, changing old habits, taking a new direction, getting rid of toxic relationships, those things can certainly be evidence of a fresh start. But listen to me. They are not how a fresh start begins. How many fresh starts have you had that started well but failed miserably? Why didn't they last? Why did they lack the power to truly transform who you are? See, I believe, I believe, especially in America, which is so full of individualism, especially in the church, I believe many people see a fresh start as something that you accomplish through your own individual efforts or decisions. Let me just tell you something. A true fresh start never starts with you. I know that's the popular mantra, right? Be the hope you want to see. That is a hopeless mirage you will never accomplish. And human history is littered with billions of people who have tried that approach. Am I wrong? Can you see how a fresh start based upon your individual effort is actually a form of self-righteousness? I can do it. It's a statement that says, you know, if you believe that you can create the fresh start that you need, it's a statement that says you believe you have the ability within you to bring about lasting spiritual transformation. Tap deep within yourself. Be true to who you are. No. For followers of Jesus, the only way to a true fresh start is in community, loving relentlessly, 
through unified obedience. And in fact, Jesus gave us the church two powerful symbols to remind us of this, that fresh starts happen in community. He gave us two of them, communion, which we celebrated last week, and baptism, which we celebrated about eight weeks ago. And they are undeniably connected to today's passage in Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Let's read it. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because because of the people of Israel. And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made the flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbal. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. And though all the people who came out of Egypt had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. The very day after the Passover, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. There was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. There's so much here, theologically. I really struggled with how to break it down to keep it simple, but I just couldn't. So you're going to have to really track with me today, okay? Historically speaking, I want you to see that what is being described here is a fresh new beginning for the people of God. It has been 40 years since Moses led Israel out of Egypt, and so much has transpired since then. They had been wandering for four decades, both physically and sadly spiritually. And despite the stunning examples of God's presence and favor, you know, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and the daily manna, the Ten Commandments, all these things, that generation, in spite of all that, had become complacent, entitled, basically spiritual brats. They believed that they were entitled to all the benefits of being God's people without any of the responsibilities that come with it. Forty years of constant complaining to Moses about God. They were not happy with the way God chose to deliver them and provide for them. The manna got old, I guess. 
But they had a lack of gratitude that led them to something more tragic, which was disobedience. And they began to drift toward idolatry. They even worshipped a golden calf at one point, if you remember the story in Exodus. This is insane. Obedience to God's command, like observing Passover and circumcision of newborn males, that began to fade. The first anniversary, did you know this? The first anniversary of Passover, a year after, was celebrated in Numbers 9. And there's no mention of Passover again until here in Joshua 5. What a heartbreaking tragedy for that generation. And circumcision was supposed to be the most important earthly sign that the people of God identified with the covenant that God had made with Israel. They neglected that as well. So you understand, don't, don't look at these things as just mere frivolous religious ceremonial dogma. Things you would expect religious people to participate in. They're much more important than that. These were things, the, the Passover and circumcision, these were things designed to clearly set God's people apart from the rest of the nations on the earth. You know, sadly, it's sort of like how many churches, even some in our community today, have started to drift further and further from the true gospel, the one that says there's judgment and grace. And they drift away from other teachings of Jesus that they might find culturally, let's just call them culturally burdensome. The breadth and depth of their disobedience in the wilderness is what made it a situation where God had to declare them a lost generation. We see this in Numbers chapter 14, verse 27. How long shall this wicked generation grumble against me? None shall come into the land except for Caleb and Joshua, the son of Nun. We talked about this as well a few weeks ago. So now that older generation has passed. And God has appointed Moses' apprentice Joshua as the new leader for his people. God has parted the Jordan River for them. We talked about that last week. It shows them that his presence is the same with them as it was with Moses. And this new <clears throat> this new younger generation was unified in their obedience to God's commands, even when it seemed to defy earthly logic like crossing the Jordan River when it's a raging mess. Look, they're not perfect, and we will definitely see that later. So I don't want you to think that they're just perfect. They're not. They're sinners just like us. But you know what they aren't? They aren't entitled complainers like their parents were. <laughs> their faith has action. And together in faith, they crossed the Jordan into the promised land, but there still remains some lingering, unfinished business because of their rebellious parents. They still carry, this younger generation, they're still carrying some of the consequences of the previous generation's rebellion and disobedience. And because of that, this whole generation, even though they're better, they need a fresh start as well. And this fresh start would come with the reinstatement of God's commands about Passover and circumcision. So that's the history of our passage today. Look at the theology. What is it that God is doing? I want to talk about how this is the covenant renewed. So God wants their first act of obedience 
in the promised land to be a visible symbol of the renewal of the covenant he had made with their parents. The covenant God this whole time has actually been keeping despite the previous generation's neglect, whining, and rebellion. So in unified obedience, this new generation, they renew these two Passover covenant signs. Circumcision. Passover. They demonstrate that they are God's people. You know, it's the same as our obedience to the commands Jesus gave to us regarding two signs of the covenant. What we're going to do now is we're going to explore in this theological section, you're going to have to stick with me here, we're going to explore how circumcision and Passover are directly connected to baptism and the Lord's table. In fact, they replace them. The first thing I want you to see is that circumcision equals for us baptism. So circumcision was this visible mark about their commitment to God's covenant an outward sign of an, of an inward transformation. And circumcision was meant to display that they were making a permanent identification with the people of God, and that's what baptism is. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Look what Paul does. He ties them both together. In case you thought I was making it up, I'm not. It's right here. It says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You were dead, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Here we see, undeniably, circumcision becomes baptism. Their obedience to this first command, it might seem from an earthly perspective to be very unnecessary, even risky. Let me explain why. Because circumcising every adult male at this point, they've just crossed over into Canaan and there's countries that hate them. Let's just say that circumcising every male, I don't know how else to say it, I guess you would just say it, puts them out of commission for a couple of days. This makes them vulnerable to attack. Unlike their PS. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that awkward moment, but thank you for just breaking the ice and this. Okay. But unlike their parents, right, this generation has faith and trust that leads directly to their unified obedience. And it's a precious renewal of commitment that they're making to their covenant with God. It is a separation from the legacy of their rebellious, whining, entitled parents. It wasn't some pointless ritual religious act. It was a powerful, faith-driven expression in the name of God, just like baptism is. We experienced it together. Because God's command for circumcision in Joshua 5 is directly connected to the command Jesus gave us. Watch this. Look at this in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. 
They were being circumcised in the name of God, just like we in the New Testament are being baptized in the name of God. All right, you see that? Circumcision equals baptism. Next thing, Passover equals Jesus, the Lamb of God. Let's look at this. The second command to reinstate the Passover feast, it marks a transition of God's people from being wanderers in a strange land to people in a new land with a new purpose and a new home. By the way, did you know that Jesus intended the first Lord's table the night before he died? He intended the first Lord's table that he celebrated with his disciples. He made it very clear, by the way, this is replacing Passover. They were doing Passover that night. That first Lord's table was on the night of the Passover. And Jesus made it clear he was the Lamb of God. And that Passover that Israel had been celebrating for generations was no longer about remembering Exodus. See, that's why they did Passover, to remember that God had taken them out of slavery, out of Egypt. He says, no, no, no. From now on, every time you do this, do that what? In remembrance of me. I am taking you in an exodus out of sin. It's about remembering the cross. And every time they gathered together to celebrate the Lord's table, and by the way, it didn't just have to be once a year now, they could do it whenever they wanted. It was about remembering Jesus. Remember, we celebrated the new covenant Passover last week in June. We're allowed. We did it together in community. You know what that is? That's called unified obedience. Okay, so you see that, right? We see baptism, circumcision, baptism, Passover, the Lamb of God. No more manna equals Jesus is the bread of life. Good job. I see it. I'm, working on, I'm working on it, okay? I shouldn't have to look back there, but I do. All right. Tucked away at the end of this passage is a really, listen carefully, I'm going to challenge you, it's a very juicy theological morsel. So God stopped sending that daily manna that was coming down from heaven every morning to feed his people. It stops. Because the land they are about to inherit, the land that they are about to go into, just like we are commanded to go into, that land will provide everything they need for life and obedience, and it would be food way better than manna. That's the new covenant. It's way better than the old one. Remember how Jesus describes himself as the bread of life? Look at this. He makes the direct connection to manna. John chapter 6, starting with verse 32. It was not Moses who gave you the manna. My Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see that? So bat circumcision, baptism, Passover, Jesus the Lamb of God. No more manna, Jesus is the bread of life. You know, by the way, it's not just a throwaway line that Jesus taught us to pray to God for our daily bread. It wasn't, give me this day my daily bread. That's not how Jesus 
said, you know, when you're hungry, just say, God, give me bread. That's not what he said. He said, pray, Lord, give us community, our daily bread, not manna, but the bread of life, us and our in community. See, every part of this story in Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, every part of this story foreshadows Jesus and the symbols of a new and better covenant that God has made with his people. Listen, this is deep theological stuff, but it's so cool, isn't it? Okay, that's the history and the theology. Let's look at the personal or devotional section. What are we supposed to do with this? It's a lot. I'm calling this section, Keeping It Fresh. And here was the sermon preview this week. Need a fresh start with God? The very first step is being part of a community of unified, obedient believers. It's a question just hypothetical, right? So let's go back to that story in Joshua 5. What do you think would have happened if 50% of the men said, nah, I'm not doing the circumcision thing, guys. I'm out. That would not have been good. That would be a really short, fresh start. But looking around, seeing unified obedience to these Old Testament symbols as each one, the brothers looked around, they see it becomes a powerful, encouraging community of faith. Do you see that? They didn't see this as individuals being circumcised for some religious purpose. They didn't see celebrating Passover as just something they did personally as families. It was the entire (coughs) nation of God. (coughs) Excuse me. Their unified obedience in circumcision, baptism, and Passover, Lord's table, brought them joy. And by the way, those of you who have been at Grace Life for a while, what is the definition of joy? The supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything the world has to offer. That's what joy is. It's not an emotion. It's not happiness. Joy is satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. And that's what these two symbols represent. The presence of God in community among his people. See, when they all did this together, it reminded them that their faith is not something that they are ever supposed to pursue by themselves. I worship God in my own way. No, you don't. You worship your God, who is a different God in your own way. God was never designed to be worshipped as individuals. He was designed to be worshipped by people in community together. Faith is a team sport. It's not an individual thing. It's the same impact that we feel when we participate in our new covenant versions of circumcision and Passover, baptism and the Lord's table. Because I think too many Christians see a fresh start as merely a personal choice or some sort of personal private commitment. No. A fresh start is a community achievement. It's not born from you making an emotional decision because you heard a motivational speaker that inspired you. I mean, that could be fun, but that's not what changes you. Did you know that? It's born out of community in unified 
obedience. Listen to me. Listen, this is important. No matter how hard you try, you'll never, ever have true renewal on your own. Give it up. It must start with community. It happens here. Individually, our fresh start will only be as real as the one your community around you is providing. It's unified obedience in community that inspires true repentance, forgiveness, humility, transformation, and the renewal that we all so desire. And you know, Jesus, just like God knew with Israel, you know, Jesus knew that we would need to be reminded of the importance of being in unified obedience in community if we want a fresh start. He knew we would forget that all the time. That's why he commanded us to partake in these two brand new symbols of the new covenant that he designed to be celebrated. How? Together. So last week we celebrated the new Passover with the Lord's table. So for the rest of the time this morning, we're going to focus on the other symbol, the new circumcision, baptism. Look at Colossians chapter 2 again, verses 12 and 13. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven me, you, no, what? Us. All our trespasses. Like circumcision, baptism is not some religious hoop that you're supposed to jump through. I know a lot of times I have parents come to me and they want me to baptize their children and I have no problem doing that, but it's not magic. What you're really saying when you baptize a child before they've even come to faith, what you're really saying is, I want to make sure that my child identifies with unified obedience in this community. That's what you're really saying. It's not some sort of spiritual task to check off your list. Do you remember how circumcision at Gilgal symbolized a transition from the wilderness and the rebellion of their parents? Baptism is our community expression of the circumcision of our hearts. Symbolizing a transition from the old man to the new. Our old self, just like that older, whining, complaining, entitled generation of Israelites that died in the wilderness, our old self has passed away. A new, obedient, faithful creation has come to life in Christ Jesus. And it has to do so in unified obedience within a community of God's people, like what we did last week together here with the new Passover. And baptism is this expression of joy that we have in our renewal and our passionate desire to just say, I want to identify with the people of God first before anything and anyone else. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. You were buried. Oh, no, it doesn't say you, does it? What does it say? 
We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what you want, right? Newness of life. That's what a fresh start is about. Do you see why baptism, and this is important. This is critical. I want you to understand. Do you see why baptism was never intended to be done as something privately or just only with close family and friends? Do you see that? When you do that, you rob the community of the opportunity for unified obedience. It's a community celebration. Remembering that overwhelming satisfaction with God's presence that we experience. Do you remember it? With the baptism of 10 of our brothers and sisters in Christ right down here just a few weeks ago. Do you remember that feeling? You know what that was? That was a fresh start out of what? Unified obedience. Those of you that day, some of you are sitting here up front. Those of you who were baptized that day, you experienced a sense of renewal from the fresh start that God had given you through the work of Christ on the cross. And you know what else? Those of us who weren't being baptized are watching it. So did we, didn't we? We felt renewed. I mean, y'all were crying like babies, all of you. I wasn't, of course. No, I never cry. No, I was crying. It reminded us, the rest of us, about our renewal and our fresh start in Christ. You know what? That only happens in community. Think of the blessing that so many of us would have missed out on if those baptisms had been done privately in homes or in pools. That would have sucked. Perhaps some of you this morning have a sense and a desire to inspire this community through unified obedience and baptism like we did a few weeks ago. You know what we're going to do? Starting today, we're going to start taking down names again of those of you who would like to help us in unified obedience and celebrate a fresh start in community through baptism. You can contact Sherry Choate or Lorraine. If we get some people on a list, we're going to do another baptism in August. Because that was kind of fun, wasn't it? Because you know why? Nothing provides a fresh start like unified obedience in a community whose number one desire is to follow the lamb wherever he goes. Dear Jesus, as a church family, we come to you. We desire a fresh start, and we confess to you that far too often we have fallen into the trap of self-righteousness, thinking that we could be our own fresh start. Lord, we confess to you, we cannot. We are incapable of a fresh start on our own. We need the power of your love and grace and mercy and redemption in community with your people together around us. Lord, we, we are so thankful that you've given us these two new signs of the new covenant baptism in the Lord's table, how special they are, how they remind us each time the importance of unified obedience. They remind us that fresh starts come from togetherness as the family of God. 
not lone rangers. And Lord, we confess to you there's been far too many times where we have thought that we could follow you wherever you go on our own. We confess that as sin. Lord, you have given us the ability to see through this passage that our fresh start is reliant both upon you and the people that you live among. Over the next few weeks, as people think and pray about whether or not they should be obedient in baptism, I pray that you would begin to build the anticipation and excitement in our church as we get to celebrate together in unified obedience another day like we had a few weeks ago. Lord, these are exciting things. We're so thankful that you made church this way. <laughs> Lord, as a community, we say to you that we love you. We desire obedience to you. And we, as a community, will follow you wherever you go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look forward to hearing from you, some of you guys in the next couple of weeks. Have a great week. All right.